Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, this is Victoria's Friday. And I always open it up that we're, we're so excited because we have an amazing guest. And, and again, we're not going to disappoint. Uh, today, who's joining us is a dear friend, but he's also my pastor. So I have to be on, on good, you know, good behavior today, uh, just so I can maintain my, my status in the church. But today, I'm so excited to, to welcome Pastor Jeff Norris. Now, he may just refer Jeff, but just for me to be in good standings, I'm going to call him Pastor Jeff Norris just for the opening. And then after that, we'll, we'll just go with the info, you know, with the infamous Jeff. There you go. But, you know, today we're going to talk about godly rhythms for families to flourish. And one thing you'll hear from Jeff is his heart for families to flourish. And, and I have that same passion. Um, and we, we're challenged with that today. We'll hear about those challenges. We'll hear about the many things that confronts our kids today and, and, and really is uh, confronting our homes today. And so, Jeff, welcome to Victorious Friday, my friend. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, so good. I'm, I'm great. I'm thrilled to be on here with you, my friend. And, and uh, yeah, this is going to be a good time of just chatting and uh, sharing our hearts and seeing where where the conversation goes. But man, thanks for the invitation. Thrilled to be here. Thank you, brother. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm just thinking about, you know, Rachel, your wife, you know, going on 20 years in August. First of all, I, I'm going to have to pray for her because I know that's been a challenge. <laughs> 20 years, brother, four beautiful children. Uh, tell us a little bit about how did you guys meet, man? Just how did the whole connection take place? Yeah, well, the short story would be that uh, she grew up in Atlanta, which is where we are now, where, where Perimeter Church is. She grew up in this church, uh, but I grew up in small town Alabama, and in God's providence, we met at, um, at the University of Alabama as students and um, started dating our sophomore year there, dated for three years, and uh, then, then we got engaged and got married right at the end of well, engaged at the end of our senior year, married right after we graduated. So uh, I, I was two weeks away from turning 22. She was about, uh, she had just turned 23. So here we are 20 years later and uh, almost 20 years later. Yeah, four kids. Uh, we have one boy, three girls. Uh, Samuel is our oldest, he's 18. And uh, then we have our three girls, Ellie, Kate, Abigail, and Annie are, are 14, 12, and 9. So um, it's, it's really hard to believe that they're already the ages they are. It truly is a blur as, as we, you know, people say that all the time. But it's true. It's true. It is a blur. And if we're not engaging intentionally with our children, it'll be over before we know it. And uh, so we're, we're trying to make the most of each day and love and lead our children well, love and lead each other well as, as husband and wife. So, uh, but yeah, man, yeah, it's hard to, when yeah. you said years a moment ago, I was like, wow, we, we really are coming up on 20, aren't we? That's incredible. Well, see that, that qualifies you as an expert that I've been billing you as, right? You got 20 <laughs> years of marriage, you got four kids, you're right in those sweet spots, you know, between nine and 18, I think you said. So, so you understand what we're going to talk about today personally, <laughs> you know, 
Listen, I might understand it. That doesn't mean I'm an expert in it. So. Well, none of us get our expert certificates. I tell you, we, we I think we're all just just challenged by it all. But uh, as Blackerby said to me one day, he says, Terrence, the Lord isn't looking for your best. He's just looking for his best to be done uh, with, with your family. And so just just point them in that direction. You can't go wrong. And I, I right. think that's kind of been my journey. And I, and I believe I can suspect that's been yours as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, brother, let's jump right in. I want to I want to get into this, uh, you know, talking about godly, godly rhythms for families um, to flourish. And, and boy, that's a big statement. That's a big topic in today's world. I mean, the, the world is challenging us everywhere I look. Yeah. And so let's just jump right in and talk about it. And, you know, and we're going to use, you know, I'm so excited because when I think about uh, you and, and your wife and your four children, I mean, you're going to be able to share some insights just from your experience. Mm -hmm. And so let's just, let's just kick it off, man. And, and talk about uh, how would you describe the state of the family today from your perspective? Mm -hmm. I'm going to use one word and that word is distracted. Um, and that might be surprising, or maybe you might say, well, that's a little unfair coming out of COVID. We have, we've actually been less distracted than we've ever been because of circumstances in life being such that we're, you know, we've been together a lot. And that's certainly true. I know for me, um, with Rachel and the kids, we, we spent more time together this past year because of various, you know, all the COVID protocols and shutdown and lockdown, all that. Um, however, what I've noticed is, is I've noticed the human heart remains the same in its, in its desire to find something to distract us from what we most need and what we were created for, namely God himself. But then secondly, fellowship with one another and what the family unit, what God's design and desire of the family unit is to be. So even though we're getting more time together, um, I'm parenting, as you heard, I'm parenting teens and tween, one tween, and then one, you know, about to be tween, nine-year-old. And, uh, and what I'm seeing with them is they, is they watch the world around them. They are continually being drawn to what the world defines their life should be in terms of what they should be consumed with. So we've, we've been fighting the battle for years now of when do we give our children a phone? You know, when do they have direct access to their own device? And then even once they do have that, how do we manage it? How do we, how do we watch it and, and protect them from various things and, uh, you know, restrict what they have access to and so forth. And so my, I would say I'm using that word distracted as I watch my family. I'll put it that way. I won't put that on anybody else. I'll put that on my family as I watch my kids so very distracted by what they think is going to give them what they most want. Yeah. And they're, and they're butting heads. And this is an age old thing. It's, it's just a new generation with new issues, but they're butting heads with parents who are trying to seek to press into their hearts and into their minds, things that actually have lasting significance and that are going to shape them in such a way for longevity of flourishing in, in the life that, that God has designed for us. 
but they don't want it. They want the immediate pleasure of the here and now fitting in, being popular, wanting to be recognized and so forth. So there's this distracted. I think about, uh, I think about the families that are younger than where we are in our stage. And I think, um, it's pretty cliche, but it's true. Every family, every husband and wife I talk to that are parenting little ones, they're just exhausted. They're tired. They're, um, they're overwhelmed. And um, yeah, that's, that seems to be the, the consistent reality of those who are, who are parenting little ones. Then I talk to those who are older and uh, they're, they're parenting perhaps adult children or not parenting anymore, but they have adult children or maybe they're parenting college age students. And there's this whole reorientation to life without kids in the home. And, but I think what's consistent across all three of those groups, so what, whether you say young parents, parents of teenagers or parents of those that are getting ready to be adults or already adults, we're all seeking to find significance in how God designed the family to work. And we feel the frustration when it doesn't work that way. And so that's why, that's why I use that word flourishing is um, I wonder how many families, how many parents right now listening to us talk would say, yes, uh, I would say that we are flourishing as a family. Um, and we don't feel distracted. We feel very much on mission together. We feel like we have a clear purpose for what our family is aiming for. We have a target. We have an aim. Uh, we, those kind of things. And, um, you know, I hope I would be surprised with how many would say, yeah, I think we're flourishing. And I think we have an aim and a target and so forth. Uh, but I fear that it would be most that would say, man, those are not words I would ever use. Uh, I'd use words more like surviving, um, just trying to make it, you know, get through each I day. I think that's a good word, uh, distracted, you know. Um, I was just having some time with my daughter who, who's visiting with us uh, this week, and and we were just kind of joking around and, and saying, you know, Dad, you know, you didn't let us have a cell phone till I was 16 years old. and <laughs> All the other kids had cell phones, you know, how much pressure was that, right? But like I told her, I'm not, I'm not raising those kids, <laughs> you know, I'm, raised, I'm, I'm responsible for you. And uh, mom and I, we know where you are because we're taking you where, where you need to go. And, and so we, we always had this thing, we would give them more as they would earn our trust. Yeah. And, and our, and our child, I mean, we were blessed. Um, they earned our trust and, and we were able to, to do that. But, you know, I, I, I was just challenged, uh, uh, Bob, do I give them a cell phone when they're eight, nine, and ten? You know, but it just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> you know, so. I was thinking about this right now. So our nine-year-old, our youngest, um, I'm talking with her a couple nights ago at bedtime, and I'm asking questions, and we're we're having pretty just normal conversation. And she says, um, she says, Dad, did you know that every kid in my class, every every one of my friends in my class has a phone? And I laughed and I said, well, you know, that's not true. Not, you know, we're talking about third grade here. And she goes, no, I'm dad, I'm serious. Every kid. And I, and I just said, okay, well, you know, and so when can I get my phone? I said, babe, you gotta, you know, that's going to be a while. We don't need to be thinking about that at all right now. Well, that's, that's, not, that's not fair. That's not fair. And, uh, but I thought she was exaggerating, exaggerating. And so then I go to my wife and I said, I said, Annie just 
told me that every kid in her class has has a phone and she said because Rachel volunteers a good bit in the classroom and she said no they, they pretty much all do and that's I'm not condemning or judging those other parents or families it's just like wow if you're if we're trying to raise undistracted children then we are we are absolutely swimming up current and and we've got to be willing to not just know that we're going to be swimming up you know up current but we got to be willing to stay there so jeff let me ask you this question what tensions do you feel one as a pastor as a husband as a father that leads you to be very passionate about your family flourishing what what what, what tensions do you feel that's that's kind of going against your passion right now. Yeah, so some of it is even what I just expressed in the sense of as a parent, um, naturally we want our children to be happy. You know, we want them to, we, we don't get joy out of withholding things from them. Um, whether it be what, you know, I keep using the illustration of the phone, but there's, there's all kinds of examples yeah. of, we know as parents, uh, it's that old that old analogy of what do you need versus what do you want. We're trying as parents to raise our ch- our children in such a way to where we're saying, "Hey, you, I know you want that, but I'm trying to think of what's best for you and what you need, so that again, there's flourishing in the long run in your life and in your family dynamic, and in their adult life as they grow and, and mature." But as parents, that's hard because we, I feel the tension daily of I want to make my kids happy. I don't want to be the no guy. Um, I don't want to be the one that's constantly just kind of, hey, you know, I know they do that. I know you see all these other kids have this or that or whatever it may be. We're just not going to do that. And I see the disappointment on their face. Um, but, you know, I think about the important of the importance for families, for, for, uh, for parents and families to have foresight. They're leading to be an effective leader, like we often talk about leadership in the business world, leadership in the church world, leadership in all kinds of areas. And there's a lot of principles that we apply in those arenas uh, that absolutely apply at the home as well. And one of those is good leaders have good foresight. They're able to see what's coming and not give in to the urgency of the moment. And so what I see happening all the time in my own heart, and not much less what I see happening in other families, is I give into the urgency of the moment and the emotion of the moment where I want to make my kids happy and I just don't want to fight the battle and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I just go, okay, fine, that's fine. You know, but foresight is the ability to, uh, you know, wartime analogy is whenever you're fighting a battle, um, this is especially true, it's still true today in warfare, but especially true in that old style of warfare where whether it be the Civil War or the Revolutionary War where you had these these uh, armies that would just line up across from one another and then march towards each other. Uh, high ground was so incredibly important. So these these uh, these generals would go and they would scope out the land previous to the battle and they'd say, where is the high ground? Even if the high ground is just a slope, it's going to give us an advantage to be able to move down as opposed to moving up. And so I, I give that illustration simply to say, as parents, there's always going to be tension if we're trying to lead our children in the way of the kingdom of God upstream from the current of the culture around us. And in doing so, are we fighting 
to see where the high ground is, where we can have foresight to see, okay, I know in the immediate, it's going to feel like I'm losing the battle. In the immediate, I'm, I'm going to want to give in to the emotion of my children. In the immediate, I'm going to get, want to give in to their wants. But if I can stand on that high ground of God's word and on the high ground of, of the kingdom of God and have the ability to see, okay, this is what's best for them for what's coming down the road, to see out into the future and say, that's what helps me fight through the tension now because I know what's best for my children for, for the long haul, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and we got to fight for that. Got to fight for it, right? And you know, and, and if you think about our topic today, these these rhythms, these godly rhythms that we get into, you know, it kind of kind of brought me back to my old baseball days, you know, and 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 sometimes you just get into a rhythm, right? I mean, I was a pitcher growing up, and and uh, man, I could I could throw a nice, you know, fastball, curveball, all that, and I wasn't much of a hitter, but. After a while, when I got older, I realized in order to play more positions, I need to learn how to hit as well. And so I, this guy taught me about hitting and, and uh, I would get in these rhythms, man, where I would, I would get up, man. I was like, I was almost like, you know, Hank Aaron or somebody, man, I was knocking them out the park. And I, I was just in a rhythm. I couldn't miss. I, I could see it all because I, I was going through a you know process and my, my whole process was the same. I get into this rhythm and I, my timing was good. My eye contact was good with the ball. I was just crushing it, man. You know, so when you go from that old 98 average to about 400 average, you, you start to feel good. And I'm wondering, I think about family and raising kids. It's almost that same rhythm, but it's, it's, it's obviously a much different rhythm, but we get into a process. And I'm wondering when you talk about rhythms, Mm-hmm. And, and for parents and, and family to to really think about it. I mean, what do you do weekly and daily and monthly and annually? What are some of the rhythms that you found and and, and maybe practice within your own family that yeah. have made a difference and in this idea of, of your family flourishing? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I love that. I love the analogy because it can feel like as parents, we can feel like we're striking out all the time, you know, that we're not, we're not in a rhythm, you know, that we're batting 098 instead yeah. of four, right? And, um, and, and that's why I love that word rhythm, because that's what it is. We have to establish rhythms. And really the word that, that fits with rhythm so well uh, is intentionality. Yes. You know, we have to be intentional. If, if we let, if, if we, if we're not intentional and expect family rhythms to just happen, mm-hmm they're not going to happen. We have to set those standards. We have to set those rhythms, those, those norms within the family to where it becomes secondhand that, oh yeah, this is just what we do. This is just the way, this is the way we, uh, we operate in in the rhythm of our life. Um, So what you said there is so important in the sense of, uh, I think it's really, really critical to have, uh, to, to be very specific and intentional with what is our daily rhythm as a family what is our weekly rhythm as a family? What is our monthly rhythm? And then uh, to some extent, what is our yearly rhythm, right? And because it can feel a little bit more broad once you get to that, to that point. But uh, so for us, I'll just, you know, and Rachel and I, by the way, whenever I'm speaking on this subject, I feel like I always have to give the disclaimer that we are far, far from perfect, perfect in, in instituting all these things. It is a mess a lot of times at our house. It's messy in how this has played out. 
Um, there is a lot of sin and repentance in our home, right? But this is what we're aiming for, and this is what we're trying to constantly establish. But daily rhythm is um, our kids are involved in lots of activities. We have we have cheer and basketball and lacrosse and and gymnastics and all. You know, we got a lot of stuff going on. But are we making sure that at least, even if it's only for ten minutes, which sounds like okay, that's totally doable, right? I wish it were more, but some nights, some days it's just not, it, it, you just can't do it. But are you having an intentional conversation with each child every day? You know, that's, that's a goal that we have, you know, even if it's just a short conversation. A lot of times for us, um, that's, like I said, that's at bedtime, 10 minutes, just like, hey, Let's talk about your day. Would a question I love to ask is, did you see God trying to teach you anything today? Um, sometimes my kids say no. I didn't see, you know, and that's okay. Let them be honest about that. Is there and another question I love to ask is, uh, was there anything that really disappointed you today that was hard that made you sad? And then of course the opposite of that is, is there anything that that you experienced today or saw today that brought you joy? Um, and then, and then you kind of use different variations of those questions. Sometimes I make it more about not them, but others. Who did you serve today? Was there anybody that you saw that, that you moved towards and tried to help? Um, but just having those kind of questions and, and, and conversations at least once a day, even if it's brief, uh, obviously I'm a big believer. And I say, obviously, because it's just something that Christian families have talked about for a long time, but it's as critical as ever. And that is fight for at least one, if not multiple dinners together around the table at night. Uh, so that'd be more of a weekly rhythm. So you got that daily rhythm, the biggest weekly rhythm. This is what I just want people in current Christian context to get and understand and believe is so critical to the rhythm that God designed for us is fighting for the Sabbath. Fighting for rest yeah. and worship as a family, yeah. right? That is so, I mean, that is how God, when he said, here's how I'm making life, here's how I'm establishing the rhythm of humanity. He said, six days work, one day rest. What is rest, right? You have to talk about that. It's not just laying around all day, but it's intentionality in worship and in fellowship. Yeah. And uh, so I'll tell you this quick story, Terry. This past Sunday, just to tell you how this is just a, you know, sometimes people think, well, you're a pastor. I'm sure all this works beautifully. And you don't have any issues establishing this, right? Well, this past Sunday, past Sunday, you know, just a couple of days ago, uh, I come home. I, my kids and Rachel and the kids come to the early service. I'm obviously there for both services. Come home after the late service. And as soon as I walk in the door, I'm like, okay, something, something's off. I can see it on my wife's face. I can feel it in the air. I've walked into a storm. And pretty quickly, I, you know, I, hey, what's going on? And Rachel says, she says, I'm, I'm just so tired of, of their mindset on a Sunday, which is uh, they want to they do what kids do, and you have to fight the upstream battle, and you just get tired of fighting it. Uh, they, wanna, they don't want to spend any time together. They don't want, you know, my son's arguing about the Xbox. Uh, my girls are wanting to make videos on their phone. And these are all things that are not inherently sinful things, but it, it was enough for me to say, okay, guys, hold up. Family meeting, 
three o'clock, everybody be there. So you got an hour, this is, you know, I said, you got an hour to do whatever you're doing, enjoy it because we're having a meeting at three. And at three, it was a short meeting. It was a 10 minute meeting. I said, guys, I just want to remind you. I know I talk about this a lot, but we want to keep it in front of you. One, what's the Norris family going to be about on Sundays? We're going to be about worshiping God really well together. Okay. Two, we're going, to be, we're going to be about resting well together. What is rest? Rest is not sticking our face in front of a screen and laying around. That's not rest. Rest, a lot of times, has intentionality behind it. So we're going to do something fun together. We're going to, we're going to get outside. Uh, there's, in, there's more I could go into there. But then three, we're going to be together as a family. Not all day long. We're going to give you time to go to your rooms and have alone time and all that. We're not... But there's going to be some component of the day that we're going to be together. Now, yeah. when I've shared that before, you get families go, well, man, we got practices on Sunday afternoons. And we got this. Okay, I understand. But how are you going to fight for those three things on, on, on your Sabbath? And if you get that weekly rhythm, rhythm, it is a game changer. Yeah. And let me say one more thing, Terrence, on that. My, the biggest battle that we're fighting right now, post-COVID, and I say post-COVID, we're still in it. But as we slowly come out of the COVID fog, worshiping well together is not just worshiping well with your family nuclear. It's worshiping well together with your family, the body of Christ. And so trying to help believers come out of online worship is huge. Getting out of that, like, hey, we're just going to watch TV, and and you know that was good for a season, and we we offer it as a church for those who are homebound and so forth. But man, that is that is something that's so critical for a family is to be not only together, but together with God's people. Um, so anyway, then you got your monthly rhythms. We try to say, okay, there's going to be at least one day a month where uh, we're going to do something kind of a, for a full day together as a family, uh, a hike. Um, if it's summertime, spend the day at the pool, whatever, but just something, something intentional. And then yearly is what's our, uh, and we struggle with this one. We sometimes it's what's our vacation going to be and how are we going to, uh, intentionally plan that in such a way to where it's, it's really centered on the family dynamic as we get away somewhere. Um, that one, I, that one for me, I'm not long, I, I tend to struggle with long-term planning. And so I'm better at the weekly and monthly than I am the yearly. Yeah. Well, Jeff, that's so important. You know, I was just reading this article today. Talked about that today, less than 50% of Americans uh, even see church membership or yeah. church attendance as important. All that. Yeah. And I'm shocked that even within the perimeter of Atlanta, inside 285, this this number startled me. I'm not even sure if it's correct. So I'm, I'm, I hesitate to even throw it out, but it's been validated that less than eight percent of the population within the perimeter of uh, 285, which is Metro Atlanta area, attend church regularly on Sunday. Wow! And when I heard those stats, and we're talking the Bible Belt, supposedly we're talking about Atlanta, Georgia, when less than eight percent of that population attend church, and so the the whole significance, and you know, and I know, is, is there's significance around membership and and communion of saints and so forth. But yet, it seems that even Christians or people who refer to themselves as Christian are even discounting 
membership or church attendance and saying, you know, I, I don't have to attend church to be a, to be a Christian. And, and that's true. I mean, but at the same time, to, just briefly touch on, because yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't have you touch on it. The significance of, of church attendance and church membership. Yeah. Why is that so important for families to flourish? Well, that's it right there. Um, I keep going back to what, what is God's design mm. for human flourishing, yeah. both individually and as a family unit and corporately as God's people. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we don't see biblically God use the word membership. Um, but what we do see biblically is we see God laying out for us through the apostles in the establishment of the early church a very uh, specific and, and uh, I keep using this word intentional, but very specific intentional design for how the church is to operate. Um, and what that means, so we've developed this word membership, but all membership is saying is this, is membership is saying, uh, you know, we're not saying, hey, this is a membership into a country club or some type of social gathering. We're saying this is, we're, we're submitting ourselves into the membership of God's visible church. Uh, and with that comes a commitment uh, that we're saying, hey, I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship. I'm already in an eternal covenant relationship with God, but I want, I'm going to submit myself into a covenant relationship with the body of Christ in such a way to where um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself to be put under the authority of the church, right? Now, that's not something to be abused by those who are in positions of leadership within the church. And sadly, that's been done a lot. And that's why a lot of people have been burned by church membership. And so that's worth acknowledging. However, when church membership is done in a really healthy way, it's a beautiful thing where, for example, when Paul is writing the Corinthian church, a lot of what he's writing about is he's talking about what does good local church accountability through, uh, through a governing structure look like? What does it look like for the church to, um, to take the quote-unquote members of the church and help them grow in such a way under the authoritative umbrella of the leaders, of the elders of the church? Same thing with Titus, 1 Timothy. What does he, when Paul's writing these young pastors, what is he saying? He's saying establish elders, establish leaders in the church who are going to lead with godly, gracious, but authoritative leadership. Now that, again, these are words that can be trigger words in our current society. It's like, oh, you know, this is, you're talking about submission, you're going to submit and authority and all this. Uh, again, it won't be perfect, but there is a beauty to membership because we're saying, hey, this is not just about me. Okay, here's, here's, the, here's a big part of it, Terrence, is we've glorified in the Western culture individuality, and we've allowed the individuality of, of how we function in the culture at large to, uh, to infiltrate the church, to where we have embraced a church fabric that says, and this is just a big C church in, in America, that says, it's just about me and Jesus, mm-hmm. right? So why do I need church membership? Like this, yeah. that's silly. And but what, what do we see biblically, right? That's what we keep have to get. Go back to the Bible. Go back to the Bible. Yeah. Do you see that in the Bible? No, no, no. What you see in the Bible is, is yeah, it's, of course, it's about a relationship with Jesus. But it's about, it's not about just me. It's about this corporate body. It's about us being united to him vertically. 
And here, here's the big one uh, as, as the implication of that, united to one another. We have to be with one another. We grow most in our relationship with Christ in the context of a healthy body of Christ. And we submit ourselves to the discipline of the church. Okay. Some of your listeners may have just totally gone, uh-uh, no way, not me. Yeah. But it's so critical. First Corinthians 6, what is Paul advising the church to do? They're saying, look, this man is in sin. That He's in sexual sin with his mother-in-law. You have to discipline him for the sake of his soul and for the peace and the purity of the church. If you don't have church membership, then what ground do you have to stand on to exercise godly discipline? Not, not, uh, not immature discipline for the sake of discipline, but for the sake of someone's uh, eternal well-being and for the sake of the church flourishing. Um, there has to be that. There, there has to be, from what we see biblically, uh, that type of setup with membership in the church. And so uh, there's, I feel like I'm kind of hitting a lot of different things and that's a, Oh, that's good. I'm hitting, I'm hitting kind of a broad answer about a pretty, yeah. pretty intricate topic, but uh, oh, that's good, Jeff. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about godly rhythms for families to flourish. And, and we've kind of, kind of gone through a few, few touches here and talked about just the state of the family in general um, we explored a little bit around some possible rhythms that we can look at on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis, and the importance of membership, the importance of, of what, and what it really means uh, when we talk about that, the importance of, of protecting that Sabbath. And you can learn more and, and more materials are available at victoriousfamily.org. And but just let me just jump back in because I want to I want to get down to some principles, some truths, because here. Uh, you know, we kind of started in my home with Ephesians 6, 4. I mean, there's so many verses that speaks to saying fathers, really, I, I look at it as parents, but fathers don't exasperate your children. I was doing pretty well in that area, by the way. So I was kind of, you know, disappointed in that. But uh, he said, don't frustrate your children, but, you know, but train and instruct them in the Lord. And those are disciplines. Those That's family discipline. That's intentionality is the way I, I took it. And I started to look at you know, what were my uh, rhythms? What were my intentional actions uh, versus just kind of responding however the wind blows? Uh, and I found that uh, it has taken me down a path, down a journey mm. with my family that we could have uh, just, uh, just more intentional conversations, uh, more purposeful conversations. And and we kind of structured it around these crazy three C's. Um, year one is I am a planner. Unfortunately, that's just kind of where I grew up. And, and uh, you know, Coca-Cola, where, where I'm from, we used to write these billion dollar plans in 45 minutes. You know, they, they train you how to do that stuff. Fully staffed, fully funded, everything. So I'm a planner. And, and my wife challenged me to, um, to say, well, you know, are, are the kids prepared to defend their faith? They knew the Lord, but are they prepared to really defend their faith? In the, in the, in the West, we don't talk about defending your faith as much as in the East, because we just talk about living that life in word and deed and so forth. But, but in the East, they have to defend their faith uh, much more on a greater level than we do. But, you know, we were, we were going to send them off to college, and we had heard staggering numbers that, you know, 64, 70% of students are walking away from the faith from church really 
after high school. And you're way, I mean, you're certainly familiar with that, with your background with crew. And I think over 13 years you served with them and uh, Campus Crusade and so forth. And so you've seen it firsthand. You, you've walked there, you've been there, you've, you've experienced it. I wanna take it down to some truths, some learning, some principles that some scripture that you may have either thought through or use in your own home that just kind of helps you stay focused on this whole rhythm uh, for your family to flourish and, and or just in general, any, any principles or, or strip or scripture or, or some key learnings that you can share from your experience uh, not only as a father, but as a husband, and but as a as a crew uh, leader, yeah. uh, as you served for thirteen years there, well, what would you what would you share some insights? Yeah, that's great. Good good question. Um, the first thought that comes to mind is um, actually most probably most applies to marriage, but then also can certainly play out from there. But uh, several years back, uh, Rachel and I had not been married too long. And um, I came across this book called When Sinners Say I Do by Dave Harvey. And uh, kind of the whole premise of the book is, is um, when, we, when we get married, we're, it's two sinners coming together, you know, united as one at some level through God's grace, reflecting the union that we have with Christ and as we are his bride and he's our bridegroom and how... A Christian marriage is to do just that, but part of the issue is we're both sinners. We're both selfish. We're both working through this sin nature as we are being made more and more like Christ. And so Harvey's Harvey's point was simply to say if we if both spouses come into the marriage with the mindset and the heart set that I'm the biggest sinner in my marriage, I'm I'm the one that God needs to change the most. Right? I'm the chief of sinners in my family then that that automatically brings to the table as you as you do life together um, a mutual humility and selflessness that says good i'm not going to look at you and start constantly saying this is how you need to change and this is how you need to fix this or change this but i'm actually looking at what is what is it that god's really wanting to do and is doing in me now doesn't mean we don't ever speak into each other's lives, but if the posture is such that we are saying, look, I, I know, I know I'm the biggest sinner in this, in this house. And I, I really am longing for God to do a work that only he can do in me. Then I'm approaching my spouse. Then I'm approaching my kids even with a posture that, uh, that is very humble and very godly. So it's mainly with, it starts with our spouses and our marriages, but it does, it definitely plays out with our kids. I've often said with my children uh, that I'm not sure how much I do really well, except repent. <laughs> I think I repent really well to my kids. And if I'm modeling nothing else for them, I hope, I hope they see that. I hope they see that daddy needs Jesus, that I'm not perfect that what they see in me is not the perfect manifestation of Christ, but they see Christ. They see my need for him. They see how much his grace embodied to me is being lived out in front of them. Um, yeah, that's good. Yes. You know, that, that took me to kind of four words when I started this process. I don't like them really, 
but it, it brought me to my knees and, and, and they became kind of my, 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 my focus. And I put them on is, is uh, he says, you know, I was just praying, Lord, how do I, how do I lead this family? How do I guide it? How do, how do I help them to know who you are and to fall madly in love with you? And, and it was, he said, you know, I can't use you. Like I, I don't need your thinking in this. And which was kind of, yeah. you know, it was shocking that he would need my thinking. But uh, as, as Henry Blackerby says, I don't need your best. I need God's best. Yeah. But he did. It was four words that came to mind. It was it was to sacrifice, surrender, mm. great dependency, and humility. Mm -hmm. okay. I like those words. I, I I wanted opposite of that. You know, I you know I'm used to being in control and trying yeah. to figure things out. You know, the head of the household. You know, I like that. Yeah. But this servant humble, yeah. sacrifice independent, surrendering father. Right. I didn't like that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I've learned over the years that I grow in maturity to love it. Mm. And, yeah. and so I want to give you the last word as we wrap up, because we could just go on and on. I need to take you on the road with me, Jeff. <laughs> we go out and share. But I want you to look in that camera and, and, you, and we've got We've got parents of, of all types from, from six continents that will be viewing this, 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 uh, this recording today, this interview today, uh, from different, different tribes, different languages, different cultures. But yet we know the secret is the same, the, the mystery has been unveiled. And, but if you could look at the camera at these, at these husbands and wives or just single parents or whatever they may be, whoever has authority for the child in the home. Yeah. What would be your words of wisdom? What vision would you give them? What mental image could you leave them with as, as we talk about these rhythms, these godly rhythms for families to flourish? Give me, yeah. give me your picture. Give me your mental image picture if you could just encourage our parents today as you give the last word. Yeah, man. Um, the image that, that I, I just say, this is... If we can have this image in our minds continually, we're going to be in a pretty good spot. And that's the image of Luke 7, starting in verse 29, the story of the sinful woman. And uh, Jesus is, is at dinner with Simon the Pharisee. Yeah. And uh, the Simon has brought him to his house to come at him religiously. And, uh, you know, you learn in the text that, that Simon doesn't give him, he doesn't greet him with a kiss, which was customary. Uh, customary in that culture he doesn't provide water to wash his feet which was customary in that culture he doesn't anoint his head with oil which is customary in other words he brings him in but he doesn't in any way treat him as a as a welcomed guest mm -hmm. and as jesus is reclining at table which means that he would have been propped up on his elbow with his feet behind him far away from the food it says that a lady approached from behind and began to weep on his feet and and wash his feet with her tears and, and clean them off with her hair. Presumably this woman is a prostitute. And um, what we get in this, in this um, story is we get this vivid image, this beautiful picture of our savior, which is to say this, he is not looking for the religious put together. He, he's not wanting us to be like Simon. Um, if you feel like a failure in your parenting, it's okay. And you may be a failure in your parenting. He wants you. 
He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And what he's trying to tell Simon in this story in Luke 7 is he says, do you, he basically is saying this, do you not understand for whom I came, the type of people I welcome into my kingdom? It's the broken. It's the, it's the ones who realize, oh my goodness, I cannot do this. I can't do this life. I'm broken in every way. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so as a parent listening to this, if you're anything like me, the enemy will come in and he will begin to convince you that you're blowing it in every way. And I want you to just leave with the image of Jesus that says, I want you, I love you. You're, you're so, so valuable to me. And I'm going to use you in your children's life in ways that you can only imagine. And it's going to be my power, not yours. It's going to be the power of Christ in us. And so come to him broken and humble and let him do what only he can do in and through you into the lives of those in your home. So. Jeff, I think that's a perfect place to end this victorious Friday. Yeah. We talked about godly rhythms to see families flourish. And I think you've given us some great insight, some things to ponder, some things to pray about. And it's my desire that every family, every parent would know the love of Christ Jesus. Yeah. And that every child would know the love of their parent. Yeah. You know, parents ask me, what's the secret? You know, they're looking for the three points or the 10 points and the seven points. I don't have them. Yeah. But, but there's one that, that continues to come to mind and it's universal. And that's to love well. Mm -hmm. Love him well as he loves you first. And, and then love each other well. And love your neighbor. And I found that if, if I can love well, and boy, like you say, I don't do very well at it that often. I try, but I, I, I fall so short. But, you know, that's when I see him more. And my kids know who I am. I can't hide behind a veil because they know I can't, you know, I can't put up these yeah. images of who people think you are. But Jeff, well, your words are so profound. I thank you, my friend, for coming on today and sharing. I know we could go on and on, but I think your words of wisdom is going to help families around this nation and around the world. So thank you, my friend. It's, I'm honored and it's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Terrence. My Appreciate pleasure. Appreciate you, brother.